Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay. What the hell are sunflower seeds? How do you eat these? There's no way that people actually eat these. They make no <laughs> What a scam. Good morning, afternoon, evening to all of you wonderful ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening. This is the Royal Day Lux Podcast, a podcast bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Lux, at least that's what I keep telling people, and I was a little bit late today because uh, I was a little bit late getting this podcast done, getting it out, because frankly... I was reading Naruto, which I haven't done in like 15 years. And man, I, I'm reliving my childhood all over again. I'm having a wonderful time. Uh, it, it, pardon me for not making Royals content a high priority. I know I do have a duty to fulfill. And, you know, that, that responsibility is mine. But sometimes gets a little demotivating, you know? Anyway, you can follow me at the MF in KC if you would like to know more about my recent endeavors in Naruto, even though I haven't posted about that at all on that account, whatever. Or if you don't care at all, which I don't blame you, you can follow the podcast Twitter at Royal Deluxe Pod. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, of course, as always, we're going to recap the last series of failures that occurred with the Royals. I shouldn't I shouldn't go into this so pessimistically and so negatively like oh oh royals lost again here's let's talk about the dumb stuff they did this week oh, i mean it's kind of kind of what it feels like at this point uh, well we're going to recap a series against the detroit tigers and also um just kind of talk about a sort of theme that i um want to bring up Maybe give a, a new adjustment of expectations and uh, where I think this team is headed in the future. Maybe what to expect in the future because we had pretty big expectations. Well, not even necessarily big expectations. I don't. I don't think we had very ambitious expectations of what the Royals could be this season. But it definitely, we definitely thought it was going to be better than it is right now. And so now that we the Royals have fallen woefully short of the mark, as they usually do, what do we have to say about this now? What do I have to say for myself thinking, hey, guys, this is going to be a 75 win team and I'm not going to start panicking until late May. It's May 26th. What do I have to say about that? I guess you'll find out later on Dragon Ball Z. Uh, So subscribe to this podcast and stuff like that. Anyway, let's do a roster moves. We do have a couple of roster moves for this episode going into Friday. The biggest one, arguably, is that Nicky Lopez returned from the 10-day or 15-day injured list. He had appendicitis. He had to get emergency surgery on his appendix, get that crap taken out, I think. Um, so that, that that's actually a pretty, like, if it's an emergency, that's pretty bad, usually. You don't want that to happen. Um, but it's good to see that Nicky Lopez got through that. He recovered from that, so he's back on the Major League roster. Good for him. And in exchange, Hunter Dozier was sacrificed to the appendicitis gods. No, he wasn't. He was just designated for assignment. Hunter Dozier is gone. He is out of here. As In the words of Rex Hudler, you got to go. So de- designated for assignment is generally the first step that goes into releasing an MLB player designated for assignment means that he is now off the active roster off of the 40-man roster and there's a waiting period of a few days I think it's a week actually where a team can trade him they can move him to somewhere else or 
um, if they don't do anything, they they can bring him back on like the forty day roster. He'd have to be on the active roster. I don't think he's at a point where he could. Uh, well, I mean, he could accept a minor league assignment if he wanted to, but I think he also has the right to reject it. And also, the Royals are paying him like seven million dollars, so I don't think it's in their best interest to stash him in the minor leagues. So, um, basically, TLDR is that this is generally the first step towards releasing a player so in a few days we'll you'll probably hear that under dozer has been fully released from the kansas city royals organization he will become a free agent he will probably sign somewhere some struggling team will pick him up hell who knows maybe a very good team will pick him up and say royals were royals were wrong about this guy we're gonna show them well you know that's happened before hasn't it but, uh, yeah, whatever. Hunter Dozier, he's out of our hair. I mean, we're still paying for him. So that's cool. Uh, hopefully someone can sign him so that they take like $700,000 off however much we have to pay him. That's, uh, that would be helpful. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, he's gone. They did it. They finally released him or whatever. So we don't have to complain about how bad he is anymore. Uh, maybe we'll complain about how bad Nicky Lopez is, but Nicky Lopez. You know, he, he, he's a he's a good guy. It's hard to hate Nicky Lopez. Doesn't hit very well, but he, he feels extremely well. Uh, it, you might expect to see... I actually kind of wonder what they're going to do. Um, I, like, I wonder what Nicky Lopez's role on this team is going to be. Because it makes sense for him to play third base more. But I also really hope that the Royals keep putting... Uh, Michael Garcia at third base because Michael Garcia has been fantastic so far this season. And I don't want him to have less playing time just because someone else is on the roster. So I think Nicky Lopez, he's just going to be like, I, I really hope they just kind of relegate him to a backup role. He's going to fill in. He's going to start whenever someone has an off day. Um, You know, whenever Bobby Wood Jr. has an off day at shortstop, they DH him or even just have him off the roster completely. Uh, Michael Garcia, Michael Massey, you know, whenever these guys need a need a day off, that's when you're going to see Nicky Lopez. I, I I at least hope that's the plan right there. But I would imagine it is if the Royals are, are insistent on playing younger players, you know, to see how to see what they actually have on this roster. I think we know who Nicky Lopez is by this point. Anyway, more roster moves. Uh, we've got Max Castillo optioned to AAA Omaha once again. Um, it, it it might be worth noting that I think that this year, like starting this year, maybe it started last year, there's a limit to how many times you can option a player in MLB. I'm going to look this up right now so I don't sound completely stupid. Uh, hang on. Yep, okay. I am right. So the Royal, So you can only option a player five times in a season, which is actually maybe not as... Like, I thought it was only going to be three, and if it was three, then I think the Royals would have a, a bit of roster crunch to sort through because they've been optioning guys like Max Castillo, Austin Cox, Jackson Kowar uh, quite a bit already. Um, but maybe, at least between all of these guys, they can keep shuffling them around. Uh, I think this rule was prevent was made because of Edward Olivares in 2021 because it started last year, actually. So... <laughs> Pretty funny. Anyway, Max Castillo has been optioned like usual, and Nick Whitgren is up. So that's the 40-man roster spot that uh, took over that took Hunter Dozier's, essentially. They put Nick Whitgren on the 40-man roster. He's had a very good season in AAA Omaha so far. He's had some relative success in the major league so far, and, you know, we've been talking about him on this podcast. I've been talking about how I kind of wanted to see this guy on the roster at this point because he seemed like the only reliever in AAA that that seemed like he was uh pitching well or at least one of the only ones and again he has some he has some major league experience he has some major league success he's had some some good years and it looks like the Royals are finally doing it um he also pitched on I don't know what today he pitched but he gave up two runs in one inning so <laughs> oh Royals you know get it get getting my hopes up making me think hey this guy's gonna be really good and then he actually plays and it's like oh never mind well, we'll see. It was just one inning, but still, this this kind of needed to happen in in any case. And then Nate Eaton has been optioned to AAA. They have not announced the corresponding move. They said that will come today, as in Friday. It's Drew Waters. Like, it's 
it's 100% Drew Waters. Drew Waters has been in the minor leagues for a little bit. He's been on his rehab assignment. It's already been a couple of weeks. There's only so much time you can uh, allow a player to rehab in the minors. Drew Waters has been hitting really, really well. I think I said like last week or so, or maybe the week before that he was not hitting very well in AAA Omaha. Yeah, pretty much immediately after that, he turned around and started hitting like 600 or something freaking stupid. So Drew Waters, he's ready. He's coming back and hopefully he will keep this hot streak going. Hopefully Drew Waters will have a come up like Michael Garcia or Nick Prada where they just take off running at the major league level and they really become another spark plug in this lineup which has not been looking super good lately anyway speaking of minor league hitters I admittedly uh, was yesterday i believe it was not a very good game for my guy tucker bradley he went one for five with four strikeouts including being the last out of the game he struck out swinging uh struck out with runners and scoring position at that uh oh well but he did hit a nice double into the gap so that was pretty sweet and the day before or actually no it wasn't the it was the game before he played he does sit out a lot particularly against left-handed pitching it seems because he does not hit left-handed pitching uh pretty much at all which is definitely going to have to improve if he's going to be up in the major leagues but i still believe he can because dr bradley can do anything anyway uh may 21st he had a two-hit game, went two for four with a home run and three RBIs. So there you go. Tucker Bradley, he still hits. He still got it. So don't worry about him. Yeah, he struck out four times yesterday. It was also only the second game of the entire season where he's had multiple strikeouts in one game. So I'm not too worried about it. Because I choose to believe that things will be good. Which is why I said the Royals are going to win 75 wins this season. Win 75 wins. I'm so silly. I'm such a silly little guy. Anyway, deluxe moment right here. Mike Myers. This is just his, his seventh career start, but he's making his 200th career Major League appearance. So he's, he's a veteran. Another strikeout. Eight. He had never had more than five, and Myers and Torkelson are staring each other down. Who is, who is this man? What has he done with Mike Myers? Actually, I don't really care what happened to Mike Myers, but whoever is replacing him, whoever this imposter is, um, good job. Please keep doing that. I don't know why Mike Myers pitched such a great game on Tuesday. It must have been me, you know? I, I was at the game. I, I, it was gamer night, as I keep emphasizing. He must have been a real gamer that day or something, because, yeah, he definitely, uh, he definitely showed up. 4.2 innings pitched. He definitely, um, didn't, uh, handle the third time through the order very well. Even second time through the order was getting a little bit rough towards the bottom. But, he got eight strikeouts in that and only limited the damage to one run. That's all the Tigers could do against this guy. It's like, what? What? Now, I don't want to get my hopes up and say, hey, Mike Myers could be a new starter for this rotation. He might actually stick the rotation. I guess maybe he can, given that the rotation is so ass right now. But... And I don't want to like get my hopes up and say, oh, Mike Myers is going to be a really good pitcher for us going forward. I, I'm not ready to say that, but I will say he did look really, really good on Tuesday. And maybe this is just what having a good game plan looks like, because I don't know. It just seemed like the it just seemed like he really knew how to navigate this Tigers lineup. And let's also admit that the Tigers have a terrible lineup. They are one of the worst, if not the worst offensive team in baseball this season. But that eighth strikeout against Spencer Torkelson, the, tor the, the Torque Man, had some choice words for Myers after the, after his strikeout. It seemed like it seemed like he was really upset that Myers threw those particular pitches. Im imagine, if you will, a pitcher throwing pitches that a batter is unable to hit against, and then the batter is mad about that. W what a concept! <laughs> But I guess that's what happened. It's, it it kind of seems like there was a game plan that Myers and the coaches uh, went through, and they executed it very, very nicely. And that led to the one Royals win this week. So hats off to you, Mr. Myers. It was really nice watching that. But aside from that, 
a pretty miserable series from the Royals. They lost two games to one against the Detroit Tigers. They lost on Monday by a score of five to eight, and then won on Tuesday by a score of four to one, then lost on Wednesday by a score of four to six. So at least, you know, the hitting showed up a little bit. It wasn't, you know, completely terrible this week. But of course, the pitching, even against a very bad lineup, just couldn't hold on. Uh, one of those games was a was a 10-inning disappointment. Scott Barlow pitched the ninth very well, but then came back out for the 10th and could not hold on for whatever reason. He threw 36 pitches, which for him is a lot. And uh, yeah, just didn't work. And I can't really blame Matt Quattrero for putting Scott Barlow out in a second inning because... He had to use basically everybody in the bullpen for this game because Brady Singer pitched 3.2 innings, five earned runs. Brady Singer was terrible once again. It's it's happening again. Yay! So Josh Taylor came out, pitched four outs, and he actually did really nicely. He actually pitched a really good outing. Four good outs, three strikeouts. So, yeah. Then Amir Garrett came out, only pitched one out. Um, he had to really work for it, too, because he gave up two walks. I don't know what it is with Amir Garrett and just walking the first guy he sees. Every What is it with this guy? Amir Garrett, you do not have to walk the first batter you see, all right? Think think of every hitter as Javi Baez, okay? You, you hate Javi Baez, right? And, I, I, and Royals are, it seems like there's like a corporate mandate from the Royals where they say, do not let Amir Garrett pitch to Javi Baez under any circumstance because they, they're still not letting him do that, but whatever. Uh, but I don't know why he has to walk the first guy he sees every single time. Anyway, Jose Quas came to bail him out. Uh, two outs, recorded them, did his job. All right, good. Taylor Clark came in, pitched a scoreless inning. Aroldis Chapman came in, pitched a scoreless inning, and, you know, things were good. But, unfortunately, Royals couldn't pull ahead. Scott Barlow pitched a scoreless ninth and then, you know, gave up in the tenth. Oh, well. Josh Stallman came in to get one last out. That was about it. That's literally everybody in the bullpen right there. No, I'm lying, actually. Just kidding. Carlos Hernandez was available. Although, was he really available? When was the last time Hernandez pitched? Oh, actually, he pitched the day before. Uh, only throwing 16 pitches at that. So, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I'm looking at the wrong game. Wait, sorry. He fit, he threw 27 pitches the day before. So, maybe he wasn't available. Maybe he'd be available for one inning or so. But, yeah, I, I guess I can't really complain too much about the bullpen usage from Quattrero here. Like, maybe at best I could say Stamont should have just taken the 10th instead of Barlow. Um... But even then, like, do you really trust Stamont with a runner on second with the ghost runner there? It's, it's, a, it's a little bit tricky. Like, honestly, extra innings feel like a crapshoot with the whole ghost runner sort of thing. I hate that rule. It's, it's, it's so dumb. I, I don't like it at all, but, uh, oh well. But despite my compliments to Josh Taylor, uh, for this game on Monday, he completely blew it on Wednesday. He pitched in relief. Uh, for Zach Greinke, who pitched really nicely, Zach Greinke threw five innings, only gave up one run, five strikeouts. So he's 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 inching closer to three thousand. I don't know if he's on pace to reach it, but hey, his strikeouts are up compared to last year, so that's pretty cool. And only one walk, and that one run was a solo home run. So yeah, Zach Greinke had a very very kind of like good twenty twenty two Zach Greinke start. So that's nice to see. Josh Taylor, meanwhile, he pitched the sixth inning and gave up three runs. Yeah, yucky. Like, he gave up a three-run home run to a guy named Zach Short. How do you give up a home run to a guy named Short? Come on, bro. This is, this is ridiculous. So, I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure what to think about Josh Taylor. I just There's nothing that really uh, inspires any confidence in him. Or in me. Me and him. I. He's not very good. And the thing is, this might not have been... The worst thing in the world, because the Royals were able to string together some hits late in the game, get a couple more runs on the board. So maybe this could have been a 4-4 tie game eventually, if not for Nick Whitgren digging the team into a much deeper hole. He pitched in the seventh and uh, had a really nice inning for what it's worth. He got a ground out, then gave up a walk and then a single, but then got a double play. So good job right there. And then eighth inning just does nothing. 
hits a hits a leadoff double or gives up a leadoff double, gets a ground out, but then a wild pitch, then a walk, and then then a fly out, but then another double, and then another walk, and yeah, just just not a not a good outing in, in the second inning. Maybe maybe the Royals are gonna maybe maybe Q is gonna think twice about putting Nit Whitgren putting Whitgren in for a second inning. Although, again, I can't even really be too mad at him for this kind of bullpen management because, you know, you had to use every reliever, almost every reliever on um, on Monday. So there's not a lot of guys that are available and you just need to limit your, your arm usage as much as possible. Here's a guy you haven't really been relying on so much. So here you go. Let him, let him eat an extra inning so that you can save an arm. And unfortunately, it didn't work. Eh, well... I can't I can't blame the manager on this one. Sometimes a player just isn't as good as we expect. But a little more positive development was on the hitting side of the game, where, you know, the Royals they average about four or five runs per game in this series. Let's see, scoring five and then four and then four. So yeah, they did they had a pretty good series offensively, all things considered, especially since they actually faced a really, really good pitcher on Tuesday. The one game they won was, of course, the game where we had the lowest expectations of winning because, you know, Royals were sending out Mike Myers, who is literally nobody, and then the Tigers had Edward Ro- Eduardo Rodriguez for their for their guy, for their starter. This guy, for some reason, has just randomly decided to become a Cy Young. Um, he, he just decided to become... He, he's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to win the Cy Young this year. Like, screw it. Like, yeah, that's just what I'm going to do <laughs> this season. Like he had like a two ERA going into this game and the Royals were able to really battle against this guy. Five innings. They scored two runs off. They they actually score four off of this guy, but only two earned runs. Like, sure, they struck out more than a few times, but they really took everything that they could get from this guy. And maybe something to, to, to take away from this game offensively is that the top of the order are guys who could all get on base. So the first three batters of the game, even though this includes Salvador Perez, they all drew walks in this game. Actually, that's not true. I'm sorry. It'd be wrong. It'd be irresponsible to say that Salvador Perez drew a walk. Salvador Perez was intentionally walked. However, you had Nick Prado hitting leadoff and Vinny Pasquantino hitting third. Both of these guys can draw walks, and they did in this game. And then that kind of opened the door for the bottom of the order to really go off. The six, seven, eight hitters in this game, they combined for, oh, what would this be? Uh, seven for 12. Olivares had a two hit game. Michael Massey, the seven hitter, had a two hit game. Michael Garcia, the eight hitter. The eight hitter is arguably supposed to be your worst hitter. He had a three hit game. Even Jackie Bradley Jr. at the very bottom, the nine hole, he had a, he had a hit. And hey, Bobby Wood Jr. wasn't hitting at the bottom. He was hitting number four. He also had a two-hit game. It's suddenly it seems like Bobby Wood Jr. is having a much better approach at the plate now that he's not hitting leadoff. It, it's 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 kind of funny and a little bit weird how I think just on Sunday I was complaining about Bobby Wood Jr. hitting in the leadoff spot and I was saying this smells a lot like preferential treatment by the Royals, not the Royals giving their star player preferential treatment. Oh no. Where have I heard this before? And, I mean, I'm not the only person who said that. Definitely not. Basically, every other Royals commentator, content creator, Twitter armchair manager was saying that Bobby Wood Jr. should not be hitting leadoff. You know, and and I think a lot of other people were like me, where I was saying, pish or get off the pot, in the words of one of my favorite YouTubers who has an aggressively Scottish accent. Like, I don't necessarily dislike the idea of Bobby Wood Jr. hitting leadoff, but he needs to show that he can actually take pitches. He needs to show that he can actually threaten the pitcher at the top of the order. And he was not doing that. And it seems like the Royals just finally gave up on that. They're like, okay, fine, we'll, we'll get him out of there. And then, oh, suddenly he has three hits over this series, which is not amazing, but it's better. I'd like to say that having three hits in a three-game span is a bad three-game series for Bobby Witt Jr. Hit him hitting 250, yeah, that should be a, a low point for Bobby Witt Jr. Unfortunately, it's more of a high point for him in this season, at least offensively. But I do like Nick Prado in the leadoff spot. I think that was good. Uh, they kind of 
change that a little bit on Wednesday's game. They they put Matt Duffy leadoff, which is uh I kind of that that's a little bit weird, but I don't know. Maybe this is just one of those things that they try just to just just see if they try it. And I don't know if it works. It works, and if it doesn't work, all right, well stop trying that. And uh, Matt Duffy went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. So yeah, maybe don't do that again. But I like Nick Prado in the leadoff spot for now. I wouldn't mind if they put MJ Melendez back there, but I kind of maybe uh, maybe the Royals are seeing that they that he's not really working out offensively like they thought, so maybe that's why they're he's sticking around like the middle or closer to the bottom of the lineup, like he was sitting sixth on Wednesday. He kind of hits around there uh, this season. He actually went four, five, six, hitting fifth, hitting fourth on Monday, fifth on Tuesday, sixth on Wednesday. I guess that makes sense if you know he's not hitting super well, so they they're thinking, eh, let's not put him lead off right now I actually just now wrote down a lineup like if you want if I if I could write the Royals lineup for Friday night's game then uh I would go with Prado at first base Vinny DHing hitting second Salvi catching Bobby hitting fourth uh Massey hitting fifth MJ Hitting sixth, playing in right field. Drew Waters. This is actually a little bit difficult. It's a little bit difficult thinking about like where Drew Waters should go, but just kind of thinking about the rest of the roster. I'm going to put him seventh. Let him play center field for now. You know, really try him out there for now. And then Edward Olivares hitting eighth, putting him in left field. And then Michael Garcia batting ninth, uh, playing third base. And Olivares could also be substituted for Jackie Bradley Jr. if you really want. Uh, you could move this outfield around a little bit, but that's kind of the that's kind of the order I would go with for right now. Prado, Pasquantino, Salvi, Bobby, Massey, MJ, Drew Waters, uh, Olivares, or JBJ. I don't really care. Uh, I don't really like either of them in the lineup personally. Uh, and then Michael Garcia. Yeah, that would be the lineup I would write right now if I was Macquatrero. But I don't know. I'm not a manager. I'm just a guy on the internet with a microphone. Or you could also put Nick Prado in left field. M- or not MJ. Vinny at first base. And then Freddie Fermin can hit eighth and be the catcher. And then Salvi would be the DH. There are, there are lots of options here. That was just that was just something for fun. Just to kind of get a general order of where I, where I think... Something fell. Of where I think these guys can hit. I think Prado hitting leadoff works really well. Vinny should definitely be number two, number three. Um, Bobby hitting behind them. I don't love the idea of having Bobby behind such slow runners, but you can you also expect Salvi and Vinny to really crush doubles or something like that. So they're going to get on base well ahead of him. So I don't think they're going to really clog the base for him. At least not a lot of the time. And hey, Bobby has some power of his own, so it, maybe it won't matter that much anyway. Yeah, I like Bobby more in the middle of the lineup uh, than anything. And then Michael Massey hitting fifth. Uh, just I, I just think he's like a, a solid middle of the order or, or middle of the order guy. High contact, some solid power right there. Maybe some decent on base skills as well. Like he's just an all around like solid hitter. I think. And then MJ hitting sixth, sixth, another big power guy. Not a lot of contact, but you know he can get on base. And then again, Drew Waters, which I wasn't entirely sure where to put him because I think we just really have to see what he's really going to be before deciding on where he actually should hit in the lineup. Olivar is number eight because eighth hitter is generally the worst hitter. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have a lot of confidence in Olivar, so I'm just kind of putting him there. And then Michael Garcia hitting ninth. The nine is kind of like the new leadoff. You know, it's kind of like you don't put the you don't usually put your worst hitter at the bottom of the order anymore. Instead, you put a pretty good hitter in the nine hole so that when you get back to the top of the order, you've probably got a, a good hitter on base and a good runner on base as well. And that's Michael Garcia. Michael Garcia could also potentially hit leadoff. That could be an interesting idea as well. There are lots of ideas. I guess I'm not like you know, dying on this hill. I just thought this would be a, a fun little experiment. All right, so I, let, let's talk about the Royals. Let's talk about the Royals from the past, how we got to the point where we are now, and what sort of direction we're heading in, if there is one at all. But first, I gotta add something to the show. And we're back. Thank you for your patience. Now, despite whatever progress I want to spew nonsense about... 
It doesn't change the fact that the Royals are 15 and 36. Ouch. That hurts. Definitely not what we expected. Um, they are the second worst team in baseball by a pretty significant margin at that. The only team that is worse than the Royals is a team that is on pace to be the worst team literally ever. Well, maybe not ever, but at least in the modern age, they actually, the Oakland Athletics this season might actually lose 120 games. Like they are on pace for that. They are 10 and 42. It's incredible. Well, incredible in some way, I suppose. Yeah. Royals are five games above that. But they are six games behind the next worst team, which is either the Nationals or the Reds. Oh, hey, we play one of those teams. Interesting. So, um, yeah, there's kind of like a tier of bad teams, you know, the, the low 20s teams. Like, like there's, you know, obviously good teams, you know, teams that are winning their divisions respectfully. Um or teams that are kind of close to that, like the Diamondbacks are 29 and 21. They're only two games behind the Dodgers. Kind of same with the Astros. They're only three games behind the Rangers, who are, for some reason, really good this season. The Orioles are, have 33 wins already. The, the Orioles are the second-best team in, in baseball, and also the second-best team in the American League East. And then the Yankees are also there. Then you got the teams that are around 500, the Brewers, the Twins, the Giants are exactly 500. The Marlins are, are are trying. The Mets and the Pirates are clinging on for dear life. Red Sox, uh, maybe Angels, although they seem to be trending down. Oh no, who could have predicted that? And then Mariners, uh, also the Blue Jays, who are in last place <laughs> with a 26 and 25 record. And then you got the teams that are obviously not doing well. They're they're struggling. They're 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 considerably below five hundred. The Guardians, White Sox, um, you know, Phillies, Cardinals, Cubs, Padres, teams that you could consider disappointing. And then maybe right below that are teams that are like act- actively bad: Rockies, Reds, Nationals, White Sox, and Guardians, arguably. And then well below that. Are the teams that are just like, what are you, what are you doing, guys? And it's the A's and the Royals. That's the MLB landscape this season so far towards the end of May. So, um, any hope that the Royals can salvage their season and become respectful, um, become respectable rather, that's probably gone. Like, like literally at this point, the last hope is that. I don't know, there's a turnaround, or not even necessarily a turnaround, but some kind of, actually, honestly, even if that happens, okay, so I was thinking maybe the Royals can have a second half, kind of like they did in 2021, where basically from the all-star break onward, they actually played 500 baseball or somewhere thereabouts, but I'm thinking, wait a minute, when we even get to the all-star break, the season's probably going to be so bad that it's not going to be like 2021 where we finish with 74 wins after playing 500 for a little bit. It's probably going to be like 2018 where after the all-star break or maybe it was like August or so, the Royals actually played 500 baseball for like the last few weeks of the season. They lost 104 games that season. So that's what a turnaround would look like for the Royals, losing 104 games. It's rough. It's actually, it's really hard to come to grips with just how bad this team is. But I also don't let it get me down too bad still, even at, even despite all of this. Look, I got mad at the at the Royals enough last year. I'm not doing that this year. And the thing that, the reason why I'm not so mad at the Royals this season is because in some way I can't necessarily blame them too much, which sounds like a defeatist thing to say, and maybe to some extent it is. But this is kind of what I was saying the last couple episodes or maybe like uh, when I was talking about Jordan Lyles, uh, when I was talking about Hunter Dozier and what the Royals were, what the Royals have tried to do for the last few years, basically since 2018, the Royals couldn't get themselves to really rebuild. They could not bring themselves to let go of whatever possibilities they had, whatever positive possibilities they had. 
You know, even in 2017, even though the team was not doing so well, the wild card race at the time was close enough where the Royals felt like they could just get hot, which they did in the early parts of summer in like June, July. So they're like, you know what? Let's not trade the core. Let's not give up on this. Let's really try to see this to the end. One last hurrah. Didn't work, unfortunately. I don't blame them for that. Then in 2018 onwards, they get they they actually have some pretty good players emerge. Whit Merrifield becomes a really good player. Jorge Soler in 2019. Uh, Brad Keller comes out of nowhere and becomes a pretty decent starting pitcher. And once again, the Royals are like, hey, let's not give up on these guys. Let's actually see if we can do something with them. Let's try building a new core of players with these guys. And they were seeing in the farm system what they saw in the early 2010s. They were like, hey, we've got a a, a really, really great squad down there in Lexington. In 2018, when the Royals lost 104 games, their single-A affiliate, the Lexington Legends at the time, they won their league championship. And at the same time, or, or in the same year, that was the 2018, the 2018 draft brought in Brady Singer, Jackson Kowar, Chris Bubich, Daniel Lynch, Jonathan Bolin, Austin Cox. Uh, who else? I'm definitely forgetting somebody. <laughs> I'm definitely forgetting several names here. They brought in all of these college pitchers. So the Royals, it's almost like they looked at their farm system and said, this is fine. We don't need to trade our major league players for prospects because we have prospects right here. And these prospects, they're going to rise through the minor leagues. They're going to they're going to win together, just like the 2015 Royals did. They they came through the system together. They won together at every single level. That's what they're going to do. That's what this. That's what we're going to do with this this system. The Lexington squad. They just won their championship, and then they're going to rise to High A Wilmington. They're going to win that championship, and so on and so forth. And then those guys, they're going to reach the majors around the same time as all of these college pitchers that we drafted and they're all going to converge and they're going to be on the same major league squad as Hunter Dozier, who we think is going to be an all-star, Whit Merrifield, Jorge Soler, Adalberto Modesi, who looked like he was starting to, to become something in 2018, 2019. And that's what the, the next-gen Royals are going to look like. That's what the championship Royals are going to look like. And not only that... On top of all of that, this is going to happen in the early 2020s. And in 2021, or after 2021, the payroll is going to be completely cleared. Ian Kennedy's salary, his contract is going to be off the books. Alex Gordon's contract is going to be off the books. Salvador Perez, Danny Duffy, their extensions are going to be off the books. So the Royals had no commitments beyond 2021, at least, you know, back in 2018. That was the vision. That we were given by Dayton Moore. This is what he told us to expect. Twenty Early 2020s, that's when the Royals are going to get really fun again. Because that farm system, which was looking like it was really, it was, it was really building something, it's, it, becoming something special in 2018. That's going to start to come up in, in the early 2020s. And then the payroll is going to be at a flat zero. So they're going to be in a better position to spend in free agency once again. That was their vision. And it totally failed because uh, obviously that's just not the best way to build a team. You can't really take everything for granted. You can't you can't just look at what you have and say, "Yeah, this is good enough." We'll we'll go with this. That's what the Royals did for several years. They just looked at themselves and were like, "We're we're definitely a winning team." And then they would get their asses beat and be like, "Huh." Well, we expected this as well, you know. Struggles happen. It's part of the process. We're going to we're we're going to lose together, but then we're going to win together later on. These experiences, these losing experiences, they're going to make us better. So the Royals stuck to their guns, which are these rusty old muskets that they use in like World War 1 and they shoot one bullet every 5 minutes. Meanwhile, pretty much every other team that thinks that they're competent they began polishing their weapons of mass destruction. Things like trading players away when they feel the time is right, not getting too attached to them, and developing their players more effectively, more creatively, and also sticking to a notion that good enough 
is not necessarily good enough. You can always imagine that something can be better and always striving for that. It's why you see the Rays and the Dodgers and the Astros always making these deep playoff runs. And now you can add the Braves to that mix because they they don't look at their roster and say, yeah, this is fine. This is fine. This is as good as it needs to be. We, we, we think that this team can win. They're going to be like, you know what? We think that the, we think this this can be improved a little bit. We're going to go get someone else. We're going to go get another guy. Hell, we'll trade someone that we think is already good, like the like the like like the Rays. They traded Blake Snell soon after he won a Cy Young. They're like, yeah, you know what? We think that we can do we can do something different here. Oh, actually, they did that after going to the World Series. Yeah, how about that? They, they, it was like, it was a very very unlikely seeming trade, but they did it. Unfortunately, the returns haven't been great so far. However, I still like the idea of it. This is often what separates the Royals from the teams that are actually winning. Even the teams that are winning now, despite rebuilding later than the Royals. The Diamondbacks, who I keep comparing the Royals to often, you know, the Ro- they, they didn't really start rebuilding until 2018, maybe 2019 even. And hell, you could argue that they've also made a, a sort of half-assed attempt at it by, you know, signing Madison Bumgarner immediately after trading Zach Greinke. But this season, they're fantastic. They're they're biting at the angles of the Dodgers, who are a very, very good team. And one really, really important thing that the that the Diamondbacks did this offseason is they traded one of their core players away. They traded Dalton Varsho, who was looking like one of the better hitters in baseball last season. He had, he had a five-war season last year. All right, they traded him for Lords Guriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno, who right now is one of the better catchers in baseball for sure. Like he might, be, like he's seriously hitting his way into an All-Star appearance this season, and it's just his second year in the majors. And then Lords Guriel Jr. has always been like all right, but now he's been really good for the Diamondbacks this season. And this is something that I'm saying the Royals should be doing right now. They need to be looking at trades, not just for the rental guys like Chapman, Barlow to an extent. I mean, I, I say Barlow, like they should be trading Barlow. I just say he's not really a rental because he has another year on his contract. Um, Amir Garrett, maybe even Zach Cranky, although I don't think Zach Cranky cares enough to be traded. I mean, I think that the Royals need to be looking at trades for guys like MJ Melendez. Guys that we really like and we can see being core parts of this lineup, but like that's also why we need to think about trading someone like MJ Melendez because we can't just look at this lineup and say, yeah, this is as good as it's going to get, or or rather this is what we think is going to be good in like four years. The Royals really need to fortify the talent pool that they have. Whatever sort of talent they have, they need to continuously increase it until it's until it finally wins that's just that's really what you do that's how this sport is won these days you just continuously acquire talent develop talent amass talent and hopefully it wins if it doesn't then i don't know if you got close then good try and if you don't get particularly close then you failed completely which is what the royals did they failed people are really mad about the way this season has gone. And you absolutely should be mad because this was what Dayton Moore was trying to build. This is the team he built. The Lexington squad, the, the 2018 draft class, the, tw- the, the second overall pick in 2019. This is what it turned into, guys. This is the this was the process this is where the process led us this is where losing 207 games in 2018 and 2019 this is what it brought us a 15 and 36 team you should be mad you should be furious because you deserve better however who should we really be mad at should we be mad at jj piccolo a lot of people are saying, oh, J.J. Piccolo, he doesn't know what he's doing. What is he supposed to do in this situation, guys? Like, like, what exactly is he supposed to do? How is he supposed to turn this franchise around so quickly? I mean, I know that we all thought maybe, you know, things would be better with this new coaching staff. But unfortunately, that it's not it's not guaranteed. That was that was never a guarantee. Maybe we all said it so much that we actually like genuinely believed it to be a certainty. But unfortunately... No, that's not how it is. Sometimes the players just aren't that good. And 
I don't want to admit this, but maybe that it really is the case with the Royal squad. Maybe the maybe this major league team of the Kansas City Royals maybe it really is not good enough to compete. Maybe Brady Singer is not going to turn it around. Maybe he's not going to be a, a regular, p- potentially even Cy Young competing starting pitcher in baseball for the next several years. Maybe Bobby Wood Jr. isn't going to be a superstar player. Maybe MJ Melendez and Kyle Isbell and whoever else we've got, even guys in the minor leagues who haven't even necessarily come up yet or who we have seen briefly, Nate Eaton, Nick Lofton, maybe these guys aren't going to be very good. I'm not trying to say that I think that's where the Royals are headed, but I am saying that's a possibility. It's very possible that the Royals for the last six years have simply acquired not maybe they haven't even maybe maybe it's not even the talent acquisition okay maybe it's not the talent that's the issue maybe they just haven't been able to put it together but also the fact that they've been in the system for so long and haven't developed into anything interesting maybe that you know it's like it's like a permanent effect you know like they acquired the right talent but they didn't use it properly so it's just it's just gone it's rotten it's kind of like bubba starling you know fantastic talent Royals had no idea what they were doing with him. He could never put put it together, and therefore, talent lost. That could be the case with this season as well. Maybe that's the case with Bobby Wood Jr. Maybe the Royals failed in developing him, and he's nothing, and we've just simply lost this talent. It's possible, but if if this really is worst-case scenario where all that I said is true and well, first of all, it's going to mean that we're going to continue wandering the abyss for another couple years at the very least but what's important is how or what the royals do going forward to try and make that not happen or even if it does happen you know again if 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 we really have to just say okay whatever we have at the major league level or even close to the major league level it's not it's not good enough it it sucks we can't do anything about this then how do we build so that we can actually you know make something happen in the future Basically, there's something that I was, uh, this was trying to be in response to something that I haven't even explained, but basically, there's someone on the the Royals fan Reddit, r slash Casey Royals, and they were talking about how the Royals are more directionless than ever, like even more directionless than the 2000s Royals, which I don't necessarily agree with, but at the same time, I wasn't really there, so how much can I actually say about that? Just right now... The Royals have no direction and therefore no future. And this person wasn't trying to say this as like, you know, a big hater or anything. This is actually someone who's been active for a very long time. Someone who someone who I very much respect in the community. So I will, you know, I, I, I am interested in what they have to say. And in a way, I actually can see what they're saying when they say that the Royals are directionless. I, in a way, agree. I think the Royals are without a direction right now. Or rather, I think they did have a direction they went into the season with a direction they're like we're gonna see what we have and hopefully it will be good enough where we can you know make this work in the near future it's kind of like the royals were in it's like the direction was damage assessment like okay like how bad are the royals this season like how how much did dayton more mess up essentially with the, the with the team that he built 2023, this is what he built. Let's see how it actually runs when he's not around. Turns out, it's really, really bad. So, direction lost there. What's important is that the Royals need to find a direction for the future. They, 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 they this, this is a, this is a, brand, basically a new front office, new people. Well, not I me, mean, not technically new, because JJ Piccolo has been around for a long time, but it's like, this is a different regime, all right? The J.J. Piccolo regime, it's going to be different from the Dayton Moore administration. At least, one can only hope, you know? These people need to find a direction for the Kansas City Royals and steer them into that direction. Now, is J.J. Piccolo the kind of person who can do that? I don't know. I hope, but I think he's in a similar position to a lot of these players on this team. I said at the very beginning of this season that we need to have definitive yes or no answers to whatever questions we've been ha- we've been asking about some of these players like can Bobby Witt Jr play shortstop is he someone that we can actually expect 
to stick the shortstop position defensively for years to come? That needs to be answered definitively, yes or no, at the end of the season. And there are many other questions that that lingered going into the season. Same thing with J.J. Piccolo. Is he someone that we can actually trust with the Royals going forward? I don't know if that's, that can actually be answered definitively within one season because, again, look at what he has to work with. So that's kind of why I can't be too mad at the Royals this season. I mean, I can be mad, but the people that I'm mad at are no longer here. That's something really important to keep in mind. Like, yes, the Royals this season are unacceptable. The people responsible for this are already gone. Dayton Moore is not with the Royals anymore. Neither is Mike Matheny or Cal Eldred or Terry Bradshaw. Whoever we thought was the problem last year, they're gone. So now, whoever is in charge, it's up to them to set things right, even if it's not an immediate process. And we were hoping it would be an immediate process. We were hoping new manager, new coaches, new philosophies, this would really turn the organization around. In some ways, it has. In the lower minor league levels, it has. The AA and high A and low A teams are playing pretty well so far. And we've got some really, really interesting young talent coming up, which might sound exactly like 2018 again, when we were getting all hyped about that Lexington Legends squad and those college pitchers. Here we are once again in the midst of potentially a 100-plus lost season talking about the lower levels of the minor leagues. Look how well they're doing. Well, maybe maybe the Royals really have just hit the reset button and we're going through the same motions again. But like I said, it's up to these new people to make sure that this time it actually gets done right. And we won't know for at least another couple years, most likely. Which is definitely not anything that anybody wants to say. And trust me, I myself do not want to admit that the Royals are not going to be competitive for another couple of years. Because, I mean, I, I've been waiting a long time, alright? I didn't get into the Royals until like 2016, so I missed the World Series championship, alright? I missed, I missed the come up of the last Royals. I've been waiting for the next Royals the entire time for seven years at this point. All right, it sucks that I'm that I'm that I'm sitting here still watching them lose all these games. It's just like, come on, dude, I deserve something for waiting. I've I've felt like this entire time, my patience will amount to something, and it hasn't. So if it if it seems like I'm not necessarily um reactionary enough for your liking, trust me, I've been through it, but. I mean, how much can I actually do about it? What can I actually do about it other than watch? I mean, I hope the Royals can compete with whatever they have on this roster, but as we have been witnessing for the last couple of months, it's not happening. So we got to hope that the people in charge are going to be able to set this right in due time. And if they don't, well, I guess we'll talk about it whenever we get there. But before I go, let's talk about this upcoming series against the Washington Nationals, who is tied for the third worst team in baseball. Hey, a team that the Royals could potentially beat. Wow, where have we heard that before? So, what did the Nationals do? I mean, obviously, they don't do a whole lot, considering that they're, you know, not particularly good. Offensively, they're obviously not so good. Although, not maybe as maybe not as terrible as you might think. They're 22nd in weighted runs created plus with a 94. So, just a little bit below average. For context, the Royals are currently 82 on the season. Yikes! In fact, actually, something very interesting about the Nationals is that they hit the ball a lot. They're actually 4th in baseball in batting average. They, they hit 265 as a team. Their on-base percentage is, where is it? I, must, I lost it. It's 12th. So they get on base decently. I mean, that generally happens whenever you <laughs> whenever you hit the baseball a lot. And um, they're 22nd in slugging, which makes sense. You know, how, do, how are you such a bad offensive team if you hit the ball well and you take walks decently? 
Well, actually, do they take walks easily? No, actually, they do not. They are seven. They have a walk rate of 7.1% as a team, which is third worst in baseball. The Royals currently are fourth worst with a 7.3%. Uh, they don't strike out a lot, though. They are actually striking out less than any team in baseball with only a 19% strikeout rate. So they have guys that don't strike out a lot, but they don't get on base a lot either. They just swing and hit the ball a lot. They also just don't hit the ball very hard. Very, very interesting roster, I think. Um, a roster of guys that you probably never heard of, like Dominic Smith. Huh? Who, who is that? Jamer Candelario. Okay, I've actually heard of him because he played on the, the, the Tigers for a long time. Joey Manessis. That's a guy who like broke out last season. He's the new Juan Soto. He's also 31. He's actually significantly older, but he's, he's, he's okay. Uh, they've got guys who are just like, okay, it's actually not that bad of a lineup when you look at it just at a glance. Kiebert Ruiz is having in not a great offensive season, but he's their catcher. I think he was one of the returns for, oh, I was going to say Juan Soto, but actually it was um, Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. So that's one of those guys there. CJ Abrams is a, he's get he's starting to put it together. He's one of their returns for uh, Juan Soto. So uh, yeah. Meanwhile, their rotation is not good because it has Patrick Corbin in it, who we are actually going to see tonight, tonight on Friday. It's going to be Patrick Corbin versus Jordan Lyles, a matchup for the ages. <laughs> Although, hey, for what it's worth, Patrick Corbin is not the worst pitcher in baseball this season. 4.47 ERA, 56.1 innings pitched. He's an ERA plus of 94, which really, for all intents and purposes, is not that bad. I mean, sure, he's making like $30 million a season, so <laughs> obviously you would like a little bit better than that. But I mean, hey, Nationals aren't going anywhere. They need someone to pitch those innings. And last year, he put up a 6.31 ERA in 152 innings. And that, that seems like a low amount of innings for a starting pitcher, so you might be thinking, oh, maybe he was injured or something. No, he made 31 starts. He he was fine. He just, he was just bad. So uh, yeah, and then Jordan Lyles, you know, same same thing. He might think that he's just injured or something. No, he's just bad. Fifty six point two innings pitched, seven point one five ERA. Most earned runs given up. Most home runs given up. Also, most losses zero and eight. Ah, no better time than the to to get your first win of the season, Mister Lyles. Remember when Ian Kennedy was like. I don't know, like one in ten or something. I felt like that happened at one point, but he was even he wasn't as bad. Anyway, on Saturday we're gonna see Josiah Gray, or is it Josiah Gray? I'm not entirely sure. I'll find out one way or another. This is an interesting guy that the Nationals have. He's a former Dodgers guy. One of the returns that that the Nats got for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner when they traded him over there. Last season, he was not looking so... In fact, in general, his major league career was not looking so great. However, this season, he's really putting it together. 57.2 innings pitched and 10 starts. 2.65 ERA. Although, it would be interesting to note that... He gives up a lot of walks, more than four batters per nine, and strikes out fewer than seven and a half per nine. So the walks and the strikeouts are not looking very good, but he has a really low ERA. How does he do it? We'll have to see. Maybe the Royals can do something about that, because, I don't know, they like striking out a lot and they don't walk a whole lot. They, what, what, what happens when they face a pitcher who doesn't strike out a lot and also walks a whole lot? It's like stoppable force meets movable object. And then on Sunday, it looks like on Sunday, the Nationals are going to bring out Mackenzie Gore, which is a, another very, very interesting guy. This, is, this was a former Padres po, uh, former Padres prospect. At one point, was probably like the, the number one pitching prospect in baseball. Seriously. And then got injured and immediately fell off like everyone's lists. Like he, like he was barely even considered a prospect after that. Everyone was like, nope, nope, we're done on this guy. And uh, yeah, but even still... Nationals got him in the Juan Soto trade, and so far this season, he's looking all right. 51 innings pitched in, t in 10 starts so far, 3.88 ERA, uh, also walking a lot of guys, almost 5 per 9, but also striking out more than 11 per 9, so he's doing all right. He's a pretty good pitcher so far. Not a great one yet, but pretty good, pretty, pretty interesting. 
The Royals, meanwhile, are going to send out nobody. There is no probable pitcher listed. However, Daniel Lynch pitched like six innings, only gave up one run. I don't, actually, I don't think he gave up any runs in his last start. And I think that was on Tuesday. Yeah, because I remember because I went to the game on Tuesday. And I was really, really hoping that that would be the day Daniel Lynch came back. Unfortunately, it was not. But it might be happening on Sunday instead. Man, I would love to go to the game on Sunday now. Unfortunately, I spent all my money on dental work. And also, my muffler broke. So, I don't want to drive anymore. So, please subscribe to this podcast. Give it a five-star review so that everybody knows that it exists. And then tell all your family and friends to listen to the Royal Deluxe podcast so that more people will listen to it. And I can make, like, I don't know, $2 from this, which I will put into fixing my car so I can go to more Royals games. Because, hey, I went to the one game we won this week. Obviously, I'm lucky. Just ignore the fact that I lost, like, seven games in a row in attendance before that. But that's going to do it for me today. I'll see you on Monday when we'll talk about this national series. Until then, thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. If you enjoyed it, leave a review, leave a rating, or you can just yell at me directly at Royal Deluxe Pod. That's the podcast Twitter or my own Twitter if you want to really make it personal at the MF in KC. Other inquiries can be sent to Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you no matter what it is. Thank you very much for making the Royal Deluxe Podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one, or will have a good one. Have a good weekend, everybody. I'll see you on Monday. Until then, I've been Lux, and go Royals. Royals.